Today's episode is sponsored by the RevOps experts at Fullcast. With me is their head of customer success, Tyler Simons. Hey, Tyler. Revenue efficiency, sales productivity are everything today. How does Fullcast's go-to-market planning platform help RevOps teams achieve these types of goals? Well, Fullcast lets you build better territories so that the right resources are always focused on the right opportunities. When reps are motivated and zeroed in on their targets, they'll be more successful and bring in more revenue. That sounds great. I do a lot of that planning in spreadsheets today and I'm pretty happy with my spreadsheets. How is Fullcast any better than that? You must get rid of the spreadsheets because (laughs) spreadsheets create lag and errors. With Fullcast, planning and updating happen automatically all in one place. Best of all, it automates all common headache-inducing planning activities like territory rebalancing, account hierarchies, routing, and more. So when you're faced with those go-to-market plan changes, which, you know what, they happen all the time, Fullcast has your back. All right, you got me convinced. Where do I learn more about Fullcast? Our website, fullcast.io. Hey everyone, welcome to Operations, the show where we look under the hood of companies and hypergrowth. My name is Sean Lane. I had a CRO once and he and I had a running joke where we'd turn to each other and say, I can't wait until we can just get back to running the business. It's so easy, especially in ops, to get bogged down by systems work or data cleanup or troubleshooting that latest problem that just reared its head when all that any of us really want to do is run the business. To effectively run the business, though, you need to have confidence that the foundations on which you are building your business are sound. And usually that means putting in significant time, thought, and likely human resources into how you pour those foundations. Today's guest works for a company that is trying to help operators spend less time agonizing on how to pour those foundations because they at the company have already done the painful part for us. That guest is Benjamin Zeitz, and that company is Sweep. Benjamin is the head of revenue operations, and Sweep was built on the belief that your CRM shouldn't slow you down. Instead of operators having to build all of those foundations themselves, Sweep offers templates to quickly add best practices to your CRM. In our conversation, Benjamin and I talk about the flywheel approach that he uses to get operators back to running their businesses. We talk about the balance of making processes easy for your end users while maintaining the integrity of what you want to measure. And we go deep, and I mean deep, on an example of a foundational funnel design, meetings and opportunities. To start, though, I wanted to know how Benjamin thinks about this type of work within his own team at Sweep. We sort of have three areas that we own. The first piece is process design. So for us, process design are defining the steps of any part of the business process, any part of the go-to-market motion. So whether that is the sales process, the renewals process, onboarding a new customer, Any of those processes are are made up of of small individual steps. And defining what those steps are is the first piece of ops for me. The second piece is systems. So creating technological infrastructure, A, to help those people complete those steps in a way that's easy for them and easy for the customer, right? You can't lose sight of the customer journey here. 
making sure that the process is as smooth for everybody as possible. And so that includes layering in automation and using tools to just make people's lives easier, help them surface the right actions to take next, et cetera. And then also understanding, well, what do I want to track about this process and ensuring that we are getting that data into the systems and I'll, I'll call it in the right manner. And I'll say the right manner because sometimes that means we want those things totally automated. And sometimes that means we want them to be totally manually input. I try to err away from that as much as I can. And then usually it's mostly in the middle where it's some pieces of information are coming from, from the system, from automation, where and, and some color is provided from the sales rep or from whoever is, is running that process. And with those two pieces, hopefully what you have at the other end is clean data, right? And so the third piece of ops in my mind is data analysis. Okay, well, we have this process. We have systems that are tracking how that process is performing. Well, how did it actually perform? Can I make it perform better? Or even a better question is, which parts of my process should I be focusing on and making them better? And what you have there when when you kind of go through that whole process is that whole flywheel. Uh, I don't want to use the word process twice is you you have a structure which tells you, okay, where should I be focusing my time? Okay, I'm making these changes. And now, how is that impacting my business? And that keeps you kind of going in this circular motion. And it applies at the macro level, right? So I want my whole business to improve. And then within different departments, within different sub-processes, you can also apply the same principle to improving each part of your go-to-market machine. I love the distinction between just data analysis and clean data analysis. Like it, it, it makes such an important difference in the outcomes and kind of feeding into that flywheel once again. This feels like a really good starting point for a team, but I also recognize that this is probably a very iterative and ongoing flywheel, right? That you would use to run your team. So talk about how you actually continue to use this over and over and over again, as opposed to like, hey, this is something I put in place when we first got here and then no one really uses it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, and if I'm understanding your, your question correctly, it's essentially like, how do you make this kind of part of the culture of the ops team, right? How do you make this part of your daily rhythm mm. such that you're always improving, right? And I think in some ways at, at like a micro level, this process really enforces that on its own. You get through the flywheel and you're doing data analysis and you're, the question you're asking yourself is, where can I improve? And if you have an answer to that question, well, you know, you go and you design the process and you design the systems and then you analyze how did that perform, right? So it's, it's kind of like almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Once you get the rock to the top of the hill, all you need to do is like touch it a little and it starts rolling down. And, and hopefully if you're doing a good job and again, the data is accurate and you're making the right decisions, inferring the right things from the data, then you, you should be able to continuously improve your business. Now, there's also a point where within a certain part of the business, whether it's a team or a sub process or whatever, where you say, hey, this is good enough for now. And then mm. you use the data that you have because you've implemented this all over your business to say, hey, this is somewhere else that I need to focus now. And obviously, this goes without saying, but I will say it, is you also need to be aligned with the company's goals and where they're going, right? If the company is blowing up their sales goals for the year, you know, we need to you know, 10x year over year, good luck, first of all. And second of all, okay, well, what does that mean I need to change my business? Do I need to change the amount of leads that I have? Do I need to change the efficiency of converting leads to qualified pipeline and qualified pipeline to close one. So taking that 
direction of where is our business going? And, and maybe you have a seat in the table in defining what that is, or maybe that's coming top down from somewhere else. But being able to synthesize, okay, here are what the goals are. These are the processes that are going to need to be improved. And then looking at, okay, where's the first place that I can make that improvement and begin this cycle there, or maybe beginning this cycle in several places at once. So the three stages of Benjamin's flywheel are one, process design, two, systems, and three, data analysis. And I love the way that he explains that this flywheel is just as applicable to the micro business processes as the overall macro company outcomes. And I think that's where most operators would prefer to spend their time, finding those areas where they can make improvements to running the business. Because running the business is hard. And it's even harder when you don't have those right foundations, the right building blocks in place, which is exactly what Benjamin and the team at Sweep have figured out and they're trying to solve. Here's Benjamin for more. I found one of the reasons that I I was drawn to Sweep was because I I thought about my role and, and looking at my peers and talking with a lot of them. We all have this edict of like being strategic, or we hope we have this edict of being strategic leaders in the business and helping us achieve wonderful heights and GTM Oasis, whatever that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> but in reality, a lot of us are spending a lot of time with systems fixes, right? Some people will advocate, well, that's why you need a separate systems team from an ops team. You kind of you separate those two things out and yeah. have them report into the same place. For me, I really see it as like a symbiotic relationship, right? I really see it as one thing feeds the next, and I like to keep them as close together as possible. And so because I found myself spending so much time in systems and not really being able to take the step back and analyze the business and do what a lot of ops people say is like strategic value add to the business and saying, this is the direction that we need to go, or, or here is something that we can do that can really enhance our bottom line. and saying like, well, I'm spending way too much time in systems to be able to do that. So what Sweep is doing, now taking out like my personal journey from it, what Sweep is doing is making it much easier to make those changes in a scalable and easy, friendly way. So we help you make those changes. We give you kind of like the baseline, like you said before, to, to really have the right infrastructure to build on so that you can make those changes quickly and get to analyzing and get to the strategic value add that all ops people strive for. Now that I've moved from working within a company to a consulting role, I feel the value of Benjamin's point here even more acutely. What he and Sweep are doing is giving operators an accelerant to put the core foundational infrastructure in place so that they can quickly move from foundational building to execution. And what's more, because you're getting that foundation from experts, you don't have to exert as much mental energy or human resources on making those design decisions yourself. They just give you the template and off you go. And most ops teams are so small that any relief they can get, any edge they can gain to get back to helping their company achieve its outcomes is going to be welcome. For a small team where people are wearing multiple hats, they're wearing the data hat, they're wearing the systems hat, they're wearing the process hat, like this is, you know, in some ways like, oh, that's that's the dream come true, right? Like, oh, this is the thing that enables me to take the most grunt work part of that process, right? the the physical hands-on keyboard building and minimize it significantly and enable me to spend more time on the parts that the rest of the business values more. I also think for large companies, some of the things that Sweep does 
enables us to lessen the amount of time you're spending on each individual task and be able to accomplish more, whether that's create visibility into the process, whether that's defining, hey, how does this flow work? Or how does this Apex class work? And what different parts of my system is it touching? What else could possibly call this Apex class and when can it run? So I, I do think that Sweep is extremely compelling to both ends of the market, but for totally different reasons. But it all comes back to that same idea of being able to enable ops people or systems people, if you're at a point where you're splitting that out, to do more with less, to be more efficient, and to make sure that everything that you build is scalable. That's like really the core, the core mission. So I want to make this real for people with an example, right? And Mm -hmm. the example that I want to use, I think if you're not in ops, will feel almost trivial to you or almost as something you might take for granted as, oh, of course, you you just do this, right? And it just works. But I think if you're in ops or if you are a sales leader who has ever had to like define and set up these processes from scratch, you know that there is a ton of variability in, in how to actually tackle this problem. And the problem that I'm talking about is simply how do you track and measure the meetings that your sales team has and which of those meetings turn into opportunities, right? And again, it may sound simple from the outside looking in, but it's something that actually requires quite a bit of thought when you think about your flywheel of process design, the systems and, and infrastructure, and then you know clean data analysis coming out of those things. So can you maybe break down for folks how to even begin to think about this part of someone's funnel and kind of the building blocks of what you would use if you were designing one of these processes from scratch? The way that I think about it is this. Let's start with the process piece. And the process piece, I think, is is the most straightforward. Most teams have, uh, and this is an oversimplification, and I know it could get more complicated than this, but you've got inbound leads, which are interacting with you in some way, shape or form, whether that be your content, you're, you know, clicking a button on your website, going to an event, working with a partner, whatever it is, you've got your outbound leads, which are leads that you're actively identifying and reaching out to without any prior interaction, or maybe you're reaching out to former inbound leads, what have you. So the, the first piece is just that, right? Finding the people, whether they're inbound or outbound, and contacting them using an SCP or whatever tool you have to set up the sequence slash cadence or whatever you want to call it of how you're going to reach out to those people and what they're going to say. Then you book the meeting, you hold the meeting, and hopefully convert it to pipeline. So that's the in general structure of, of the process. And I think across most companies, that's pretty standard. Uh, different variability in how you run your sequences or what have you. I think that the meaty part of this is the systems, how you set up the systems to do that. I think actually for me, working a little bit backwards here, which is like, what are the data points that I want to track helps me define the systems here. So for me, it's okay, how many leads are coming inbound? How many people are we reaching to outbound? How many of them are we contacting? How many of them have responded to us, whether that's positive or negative? How many of them have booked meetings? How many of those meetings held? How many of them convert to pipeline? And then how much of our pipeline to customer, but that's like a, another piece of measurement. And so I've seen people tackle this a lot of different ways. So when we were setting this up internally at Sweep, we said those were kind of the important metrics that, that we wanted to track and what was, what was the best way to go about tracking them. You can run through a bunch of different variations and I've seen and used all of them. 
So you can use like events or the task object, which is kind of the most straightforward way. Like if you think about just the naming convention there, that this is exactly what they were designed for. You could use the people object. So leads and contacts or just contacts, whatever floats your boat, or maybe just leads. You could use the account object, which I think is, is interesting. And I'll talk kind of through my process and how I went through deciding which one to use. And then, you know, spoiler alert, the one that we did ultimately use for us was actually using the opportunity object to track meetings. And so we kind of went through, okay, what are the pros and cons of using each of these objects? The first one, tasks and events were the most, you know, straightforward, but there were a bunch of trade-offs. So for me, I find that end users don't like to use the task object. They don't like to go in and make changes to it. So anything that comes through the task object has to be fully automated. And second is there's a lot of issues on reportability with the task object, events object. There are some limitations. And then also there's the situation of, okay, well, what happens if you like need three meetings to create a converted pipeline? How are you going to say what my conversion rate is? Is that three conversions? Is that one conversion? Which creates some like variability in, in reporting that I, I wanted to avoid. Leads and contacts, it's a pretty you know straightforward process. If you're using leads, there's like the if I'm, and I'm talking out of Salesforce here, there's like the conversion moment, right? And the is converted checkbox, which creates some like good out of the box reporting around conversions. But it becomes a little difficult to manage, like if you have nonlinear sales cycles, which a big shocker to most ops people, right? I'm obviously being sarcastic here. That I don't know that that exists. <laughs> so many sales cycles will move forward. You'll get ghosted. It'll come backwards, and and, and that causes some issues when you're using one object to track this. And then again, you also have similar to tasks. What if you need seven people? What if you have seven people in one meeting? So is that one conversion or is that seven conversions? And again, it creates variability in reporting, a lot of things to remember, a lot of things to track. I've seen people use accounts, which they use kind of to get around the seven people to one, but it doesn't really help you with the non-linear issue. And then for me, so what I landed on was opportunities because you can create a many-to-many relationship between people and and a sales cycle. And if somebody moves backwards in the sales cycle, they ignore you for a while, you can sort of just start all over again without like deleting all your old history. And that like enables you to keep your historical data consistent, which for me was was super important. The hard part of using opportunities is people are like, wait, what, you want me to use opportunities to track meetings or people? And it, it doesn't really resonate. And there's a lot of coaching and training that goes into rolling something like this out. I've rolled it out internally. I've rolled it out with some of our customers. I've rolled it out at past companies. So I've kind of been through that before. So, but to bring it back to the flywheel for a second, right? So we defined a process and then we went through this like thinking of, okay, what's the right way to implement that in our system? Now we've chosen that, we build it out, we train the team on it and we roll it out. And so we go a month and we're booking meetings this way. For us, it was, we rolled it out and we were a sales team of one. And now we're a sales team of three. So we start playing with different messaging and things like that. So we look at kind of like what our baseline was. What did it look like in the month before that we ran it? Okay, it had a conversion rate of X uh, and a meeting held rate of Y. And then we tried new messaging. I run that for two weeks. Am I at X or one month? Am I at X plus five? Am I at X minus five? Y plus five? Y minus five? And that way I can see, okay, well, did my new messaging work better or did it work worse, right? And they say, okay, so the messaging worked better. What happens if I do more touches or less touches, right? And I, I can keep layering those things into the process and measure them in chunks of two weeks, one month, whatever is the right volume metric, the right volume for your company. And then 
you keep going through that flywheel. So that's like a perfect example of how it could work and, and how it does work internally at Sweep. We've had plenty of conversations on this show about avoiding over-optimization or the dangers of process for process's sake. I strongly believe that this is not one of those cases. Even if you're a very early stage sales organization, all of the measurement, experimentation, and tweaking that Benjamin just described is something your team is going to want. And it's simply not possible to do that without committing to a thoughtful method of instrumenting those key milestones in your funnel. And I mean thoughtful. You can tell by his explanations that Benjamin has carefully considered the pros and cons of each Salesforce object and each method of measurement. Instrumenting the milestones in your funnel is not one of those things where you can say, oh, we'll try one way of doing it now, and then if it breaks, we'll figure it out and fix it later. This is something ideally you want to do one time well. And I know that anyone listening who has had to restate huge amounts of historical data is nodding along with me. And Benjamin articulated why. For me, PipeGen is one of the like, most important things that a business can do, particularly early on. If you don't have a brand name, if your product is not 100% meeting every single use case that anybody in the world can have, which is going to be the case with most companies, mm. I think that making sure that you're really, really measuring this piece of the business correctly, making sure... And by the way, this piece of the business that is getting harder and harder to do, I think anybody that you talk to right now in the world of business development, sales development, whatever development you want to call it, <laughs> they will say is that their job is getting harder and harder. Yeah, People are answering the phones less. People are less receptive to cold email. People are jaded by the amount of gifts that they receive <laughs> unsolicited in their to their homes. So I, I think it, it's becoming really, really, really hard. And it's really, really, really important. So getting it right early is so crucial. So crucial. This episode is sponsored by Fullcast, the company that helps operators build better sales territories. Their platform focuses the right sellers on the right opportunities, making them unstoppable. And the cherry on top? Fullcast automates common go-to-market activities like territory rebalancing, account hierarchies, routing, and more. So the plan is always in sync with operations. With Fullcast, say goodbye to go-to-market planning headaches and hello to your own personal planning assistant. Learn more about Fullcast today by visiting fullcast.io. Okay, back to Benjamin. Before the break, Benjamin was teaching me about what he and the team at Sweep have built to help operators get the foundations in Salesforce right so they can get back to running the business. To illustrate the amount of time and thought that can go into some of these foundational design decisions, we've been going deep on how to structure something that every company has to somehow track, meetings and opportunities. Benjamin has already outlined for us the pros and cons of three different approaches to measuring these meeting milestones via different Salesforce objects. One, leads and contacts. Two, tasks and events. And three, opportunities. Now, based on Benjamin's comments about large buying committees, I'm going to throw out individual leads and contacts as an option. And based on his learnings that this process needs to be simple and easy for internal users to follow... I'm also going to temporarily put aside tasks and events since those can be outside of a typical user's workflow, which leaves us with opportunities. But 
opportunities are supposed to be pipeline, right? And we're talking about meetings. So I asked Benjamin to help me understand why opportunities are his favorite vehicle for measuring meetings, and more importantly, how he does it. So for me, I use a record type to, again, using Salesforce jargon, but I use a record type to define what I like to call pre-pipeline opportunities, which is, you know, this like meeting setting piece of the puzzle versus what I call pipeline or new business renewals, what have you. So if we're going to talk about Salesforce for a second and you're going to use a record type, what that actually enables you to do is have a different page layout, different fields that show, different pick list values in certain fields, for example, which to an uneducated end user, and I'm not saying that my end users are uneducated, but it, it helps illustrate the point. Why does it matter that the database object that is on is called contact versus opportunity or task versus opportunity, right? If I have the fields that I need, the button that I click to get there shouldn't make a difference once I have come to terms with where to click, right? Mm. I can make a opportunity page look and feel the exact same way as a contact page or a task page if I wanted to. So that's kind of from an end user standpoint, I want to make the process as easy for my end users as possible. I know clicking into opportunities is m- more familiar and easier and more normal than clicking into tasks, right? Tasks are an object that are related to many other objects and opportunities. I go to my account, I see my opportunities and I've used naming convention and I use the record type and the page layout to clearly define, okay, this is pre-pipeline versus that is pipeline. You can go a few different routes from there, whether you want to have like a final step, which is like, hey, this is qualified. And then that goes and creates your new business opportunity. Or you can actually convert. This is less preferable to me. It's the way I implemented it the first time, which I, I learned from, <laughs> which is converting the opportunity, kind of like you convert a lead into a contact, converting the opportunity from pre-pipeline to pipeline and changing the naming convention and things like that. For me, that comes with a little bit more difficulty on the reporting side. Not something that you can't overcome, but it's just something that you need to teach. So that's kind of how I implemented it. I use record types. I give the look and feel for the end users to be straightforward as possible. I provide them with training and explanations for why we do it this way. And I found very few people that once they got the hang of it, said like, this doesn't work for me. Yeah, Maybe one person or two people over the hundreds of sales reps that have used this where I've implemented between my last company, current company, customers, et cetera. And so if I were to pull that string for folks who might want to take your model and implement it, right? Like I would imagine that things like win rate or average sales cycle start when you make that switch between the pre-pipeline and the pipeline record types. Am I on the right track? Yes, you're exactly on the right track, right? So typically win rate when we talk about it and you're taking from like the pretty much the, the venture capitalist vernacular that they want you to report to your board on is from qualified opportunity to close one. Yep. That's your win rate. By creating different record types and creating separate opportunities, you can you can still have your win rate on your new business opportunities track from creation, like what is my total close one over my total created. It gets a little bit more complicated if you are using one opportunity, right? So I want to run a filter that says, okay, which of my opportunities were qualified and then just run like a one over record count. So it's, it's that extra filter. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the same filter. It's still one filter in your report, but it's for me just feels a little bit more intuitive than to say like, you know, has it achieved this stage? Meaning for me, it's like, does it have a stage date timestamp filled in? Right. But at the end of the day, that's 
exactly that point is you still have clean win rate reporting. You still have clean time to close reporting. All that reporting still comes relatively straightforward, if not perfectly straightforward. Yeah. That makes total sense. So I think the part where I've gotten stuck in the past, and and maybe you can help me kind of bridge this final jump, because all the technical aspects of what you're talking about make total sense to me, right? Like you're converting me into an opportunities guy, right? (laughs) And the part where I've gotten stuck in the past, or I have thought that the lift to move from, say, task and events to opportunities was not worth the squeeze comes from that moment of changing the record type, right? Because no matter what, whether you've got a task there to start or you've got an opportunity with a different record type, that moment where you decide, okay, I'm going from pre-qualified to qualified is where kind of the judgment and the actions come into play on the parts of your end users. And so how do you think about both the system side of like defining that jump and then the enablement side of getting everybody on the same page about what that inflection point means in the specific context of your business? So uh, it's a great question. I get exactly where the question is coming from, but you could actually just put it in, in a very, very simple business term is, which is, well, what is a qualified opportunity, right? If you have clear codified agreement on what is a qualified opportunity, then you should say, uh, the way that I would build it is like, okay, you can't move to whatever the last stage of pre-pipeline is without meeting these criteria. When you meet those criteria, you can, and then you automatically create the new business opportunity, right? Now, for me, that's the way that I've worked. I've had a relationship with sales management in my career where they're very clear on what a, a qualified opportunity looks like. So we can actually bake that into the system, right? We can say like, okay, in sweep, we call these gates, right? So you can define like, hey, the number of employees must be greater than X and a meeting must have been completed and you know the industry must be relevant, et cetera. You can, you can mm-hmm. build those in. You can use validation rules. If you're not using sweep, you can use sweep to do that really simply. If you're using sweep, that'll plug. Um, <laughs> and you can operate that way. Some teams prefer not to validate everything away, right? Some people think that like validation rules are the bane of their existence. It creates mysteries for their end users. And I have lots of ways to solve for that, but I don't think that this is the time and place to discuss those. But sometimes it's actually a management exercise, right? And what, and what you're actually getting at here is, okay, well, how much do I want my systems to manage people? And how much do I want my managers to manage people? And I think in building systems the correct way, you really need to understand the team, the managers, and the ethos they have around that. If my head of sales says, I don't want the systems defining what a qualified opportunity is, I want that to be solely the discretion of the sales reps. And it becomes that person's manager's job to make sure that things aren't getting into qualified pipeline that aren't really qualified, right? And that's what their weekly one-on-ones are for. Then that's for that team, that's the right approach. It hasn't been the one that that I've used in the past, but like it can it could certainly be the right approach for certain teams. I think it creates for me the reason I tend to avoid that is like it's more time intensive on the sales manager and this forces a sales manager to really get into the weeds on every deal. But maybe that's a good thing, right? Like for some companies and some deals and some deal sizes, that might be the right move. For other people, having the system say like, hey, this isn't a qualified opportunity. I'm not going to let you market as qualified and create pipeline is the right move. And, and maybe that means that you need to take more steps to get the opportunity to place where it is qualified, or maybe that this is not the right account to be selling to. And 
that creates like a check against incentives where you think you can close a deal in year one with a company that's not qualified. Well, it might not renew and that might not be good for the business in the long run, put aside from a metric standpoint, but from like a resources and time spent on enabling a a bad fit customer, as one might say. So we're actually going to have the system prevent you from doing that. Those are both like totally valid approaches. And it just comes down to what do you think is the right one for your company at this point in time? And I think it's a healthy conversation to have with sales managers. I think a lot of people have that understanding, even without talking about it with them and their sales managers, assuming, or their head of sales, assuming that they have some sort of relationship with them. Even after all of that detailed weighing of options, Benjamin is still stressing that we have to do what's best for our company. By the way, he wrote a great blog post as well about all those pros and cons of all those different objects, which I will share in the show notes. But look, even if you follow Benjamin's recommendations to a T, which I honestly would if I were you and I were starting from scratch, you still need to achieve that common language that he's talking about. Everyone needs to be on the same page about the definitions and the qualification criteria for what a qualified meeting means or what qualified pipeline means to everyone at your company. You could have the most elegant technical solution in the world, but if you don't gain that common language, it won't matter. I accept and acknowledge that reps know their deals better than I ever could. So the system is never going to replace that, but it can provide guardrails within which the teams can work. For example, whenever we were trying to test this alignment within our sales leadership team at Drift, we would actually put individual deal prompts up on the screen and ask our team, hey, based on these factors that you know about this deal, where do you think this deal is? What stage is it in? How would you forecast it? And we would just talk it out until everyone got on the same page. Validation rules aren't going to be your biggest problem or your biggest solution. But one manager having a totally different definition of qualified pipeline from one of their reps or from the other managers, that will lead to problems. And Benjamin said that coming to that point of alignment is key. I think coming to an agreement, to your point, like coming to an agreement with the team, with the managers, and I think actually you're right to the salespeople as a whole and making sure that you guys are on the same page about, okay, where is this opportunity? that helps adherence to the process. I actually spoke with a person earlier today who said, oh, well, you know, we had something we're struggling with is we had built all these validation rules. And then we found out we had closed one deals in the pipeline that were still sitting in stage one because people were just like fed up with like (laughs) how the system was architected and they didn't want to, they didn't want to input the data because they didn't understand why they had to put in the data or what data that they put in. They just kind of threw their hands up and they're like, yeah, it's closed one. Like there's nothing else for me to do. And I'm not fighting with the system on this. But I mean, you're spot on. Worst possible outcome is that people either go outside the system or just stop using it altogether because of how much friction there is. And so I think that's like the best takeaway from all of this is if you haven't designed something that's easy for folks to understand and to use, the whole reason that it's there in the first place to capture good information for you to use for that clean data analysis is basically out the window. Yeah. One thing I've seen people do on the Salesforce side, which was the kind of inspiration for a feature that we built in in, in, into Sweep is they'll build like a screen flow, right? So in order to advance from stage one to stage two, like these are the qualification criteria and just pop them up on the screen so that when somebody's moving to, they can just fact check that they, they have all of those. 
for me, that requires a lot of maintenance, right? If the criteria are fluid and they're going to change. So we the way that we built it in Sweep is once you build in any criteria, they will show up at the top of the screen for you automatically. Uh, there's no button to click or anything like that. It just kind of surfaces for you. And, it, and for an ops person, it's also like a communication method, right? I mean, hopefully you've spoken with the team and with the sales managers about like why we need to require certain things and gotten their feedback on, hey, this is actually something that we need or something that we don't need. But once you're requiring it, you're surfacing it and, and surfacing what the requirements are themselves for the end users. It's almost like a conversation piece. And I've had reps come up to me and be like, hey, I saw this field show up at the top of my screen to move between meeting held and pipeline. Why is that there? And it, it actually creates like a really healthy dialogue in a non-passive aggressive way. So I think it puts a bow on it, which is like making sure that everybody's aligned and making sure that everybody is clear on what those steps are and what those criteria are. So putting those criteria in front of people on the screen as they're inputting data, making it easy for them to find the fields is like tying back some of the things we spoke to earlier. It's like having that empathy and, and designing a system that's easy to use for your end users, which ultimately makes, maybe I'm overstating it, but it does make like a difference to your customers, right? When your sales reps are having a good experience and they're not sitting in the CRM, like fighting the CRM to input data, right? I, I've never met a head of sales that hasn't said, I don't want my reps inputting data all day, right? So how do we automate as much as that we can? But also, how do we make the times where they do have to input data a much easier, more pleasant experience so they can get back out there and get to selling or get to booking meetings or get to onboarding new customers or whatever that part of the process is? Before we go, at the end of each show, we're going to ask each guest the same lightning round of questions. Ready? Here we go. Best book you've read in the last six months? So I'm not finished with it yet, but I find myself having a lot of trouble putting it down. It's called Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow. A, it might not be the first time somebody said it on this podcast, but it's not a hot take either. It's a <laughs> phenomenal book. I'm smiling because I just finished it. And I, as soon as you said, I'm having a hard time putting it down, I was like, I wonder if it's going to be tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Like they, they did a really good job of hooking you from the very beginning. So co-sign on that recommendation. All right. Favorite part about working in ops? My favorite part about working in ops is like the breadth of what you get to learn and understand. I have worked with almost every non-R&D department prior to getting to Sweep, which I thought was really an exciting experience for somebody, particularly when I, I started early on in my career to be able to touch sales and SDR and marketing and finance for me, that was all really interesting. And now that I've gotten to sweep and my sweet spot happens to be like aligned with the product that we're building. So I've gotten to work with R&D and product a lot more too. It really gives you an understanding of how business runs and all, all the different pieces. Whereas sometimes if you're kind of in a role where you keep your blinders on, you miss that. And I, I think at least the most interesting thing for me. Really fun to be customer one for your own product. That, that's, that's awesome. Flip side, least favorite part about working in ops? My least favorite part about working in ops is uh, sometimes how charged people get uh, about <laughs> issues. And, you know, having sat on the receiving end of some not so pleasant words when, you know, by the time they're done venting, you've already solved the issue that they're having. <laughs> but it causes a lot of frustration for some people if, if you don't do it right. And we've all made mistakes along our journeys that have certainly frustrated people. And I, I don't like letting people down. 
So for me, that's the worst part. But sorry, I can't, I can't relate. Uh, I've never, that's never <laughs> happened to me before. Sorry. I don't believe you, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Someone who helped you get to the job you have today. Someone who helped me get to the job I had today. I will go with a dear friend who was trying to invest in Sweep and ultimately did, who wanted to learn more about RevOps and was like, hey, can I ask you some questions? And that conversation led to an introduction to, to the founders here, ultimately ended up with me joining at some point. That's awesome. All right, last one. One piece of advice for people who want to have your job someday. One piece of advice for somebody who wants to have my job one day. A great question. I think this is actually a really out there one, but it would be to actually learn Excel or Google Sheets or whatever it is. I do a lot of that in my day-to-day job, but also a lot of the things that I learned in using Excel led me to be able to translate things to all of the different systems I use in go-to-market. Like Even though the syntaxes may be different, kind of like the thought process. I mean, sometimes the syntax is almost exactly the same, but the thought process that comes with building formulas in Excel really lends itself well to like the technological systems piece of ops. And I, and I think that it's really, really crucial to understand those things, if not have hands-on experience to, to be a successful ops person. Empathy is really important and being able to understand people's problems and fix them is the best way to, to build empathy. Thanks so much to Benjamin for joining us on this week's episode of Operations. Also, special shout out to Alyssa Wolf from the Sweep team for helping to set up the conversation in the first place. Thank you, Alyssa. All right. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you're subscribed to our show. We get a new episode in your feed every other Friday. You can also check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Search for Operations with Sean Lane. And we have a great set of full episodes, clips, shorts, everything you could want from the show. Lastly, if you learned something today from Benjamin or from any of our guests, make sure you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, six-star reviews only. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Today's episode is sponsored by Fullcast, your go-to-market planning platform. If you've ever spent hours or days building territory and quota plans only to have them be out of date the second the reps hit the street, you need to check out Fullcast. With Fullcast, you set intelligent rule-based policies that automate all of the time-consuming manual tasks that hit RevOps teams throughout the year. With virtually no effort, operations will always seamlessly align with your plan. Learn more about Fullcast today by visiting fullcast.io.